Hi, this is Carmen from Queers Converse. Today I am just going to be talking to you myself, speaking to you from my wheelhouse on something that I'm actually really passionate about. If you have listened to the first episode of Queers Converse about who we are and who I am, I shared with you that my profession, my paying gig, is I am an adjunct professor. And adjunct mean I am part-time, I teach about four classes an academic year, and I'm um, hired by contract every year. I'm an adjunct for the Criminal Justice Department at Seattle University. And I'm going to be talking to you about that and about law enforcement in America, what it means to defund the police and why it needs to happen. I was asked to uh, give a training by the Washington State Commission on Asian and Pacific American Affairs. And the training they asked me to do was on the history of policing. And so I'm adapting that today a little bit to share with you on this forum. And I will cite my sources in the um, description below. But I want to talk to you about the history of policing, the anti-blackness that is in very much built into the institution of policing, and why we need to defund the police. And the movement that is happening right now it's complicated and it's hard for me because I'm the daughter of a cop. My father was the first Puerto Rican born Seattle police officer hired by the department in, I believe it was 1972 or 73. And that was in a height of affirmative action hiring. And so I have a unique perspective because I was raised around Seattle Police Department. I consider them my family. And I'm not proud of them. I'm not proud of my family. And that doesn't mean I don't respect and love the people, the men and the, wo and the women I, I grew up around. I was just raised to hold people accountable. And when I see something that's wrong, to call it out. And so feel free to keep listening. Hopefully this is going to be a resource for you when you want to talk to maybe your more conservative family members <laughs> about policing in America today and why people are so upset and rightfully so and the really the real institutional problems that we have um, with policing today. And so buckle up. I'm going to focus on law enforcement as we know it today starting from the birth of America. And so America gained its independence in 1776 from the British. And so I'll just start in like the 1700s. So in the 1700s, we had predominantly night watchmen or the night watch and constables. Constables being equivalent to what we know as maybe sheriffs today. Law enforcement um, back then was much more, it was much more rural, much less populated. Night watchmen were, it was a volunteer-based system. It wasn't the most effective, but it was local men who would volunteer to keep watch at nighttime, but not always the 
if people for the job volunteer to do the job and even if they did, they didn't always do it right or do it at all. So that wasn't effective. And constables have held through and kind of developed into what we know as the sheriff system or our, our county sheriffs. And we also had what were called slave patrols. I know a lot of people probably know about this. And yes, we had something called slave patrols, an adaptation of law enforcement, and it's integrated into the system that we know today. And so I'll break that down for you. The slave patrols began in Carolina County, and the purpose of them was to return property back to their owners. Mind you, Black people in the 1700s were considered property, not people. And so these patrols were meant to keep track of any runaway slaves and return them. And as law enforcement developed and America gained its independence in 1776, we still very much had the night watch. We had the constables, we had the slave patrol. Now people will argue and you know, what I learned when I was going to school and I got you know, my degrees in criminal justice was the development of law enforcement as we know it, municipal law enforcement, city law enforcement, like we know it today, was developed under Sir Robert Peel in 1829. Mind you, America broke away from Britain in 1776 and gained its independence. The municipal law enforcement system that we know today did travel from England over here and follow the Peel principles. However, those individuals that were slave patrolmen, that were volunteers for the Night Watch, that were sheriffs, those men became police officers as part of the system that we know today. We developed the institution of policing when we saw Black people as property. Those policies, those practices, that culture, that those beliefs were developed during that time. And there were systems like the slave patrol because slavery was essential to the American economy. It was about money, as it often usually is. <laughs> so we had the Civil War in 1861. And that's where people are like, well, the Civil War ended, slavery ended in 1865. That is good old fashioned high school history for you. The thing, the, the thing that we didn't learn in high school history, and I hope you did, and if you didn't, Google it, is even though the end of slavery happened in 1865, that was the beginning of the Jim Crow era. Jim Crow refers to basically different black codes or a set of laws that legally enforced discrimination against black people. So even though there technically wasn't slavery, Black people were still discriminated, discriminated against and policed and controlled the, the where they could work, how much they could work, how much they could make, where they could go, where they could live, where how they could travel. Everything was regulated by these Jim Crow laws. These laws were also enforced by law enforcement. That's how that works. And so not only did you have the birth of law enforcement, in 1838, when we still had slavery in this country, when we had something called slave patrols in this country. Fast forward past the Civil War, and now those same 
law enforcement officers are enforcing the Jim Crow laws. These laws that are telling black people where they can go, when they can go, where they can go. Free, there was no freedom. It was an illusion. Because after the Civil War was fought, those Confederate soldiers, those slave owners, they went back to their jobs as judges, as law enforcement officers, as bankers. And they use law and policy and legislation, all of those things to enslave black people legally, even though it wasn't enslavement anymore. So now you have law enforcement officers that not only are at the birth of law enforcement as we know it, that, you know, had ties to slavery in one shape or another. And now they're enforcing these laws that further discriminate against black people and make it difficult for them to be successful and to be free. So in 1929, we had the Wickersham Commission, which was basically a national commission on law, law observance, law observance and enforcement. Um, it basically studied the criminal justice system in the United States and law enforcement. It was established under President Hoover. And it was doing all of this amidst the Jim Crow era, amidst like segregation laws. And so not only are we investing and studying law enforcement and criminal justice system in this country, a lot of that was done, being done during a time where black people, again, were not seen as equal. And they weren't given the opportunity where this country was still very much, very racist in 1929. We didn't really see, we, we didn't see the end of Jim Crow until 1965 the end of the civil rights movement. And that's just the end of Jim Crow, but we didn't see the end of racism. We haven't seen the end of racism. And so law enforcement, you know, they began affirmative action hiring in like the 1970s, shortly after, you know, the end of the, the, um, the civil rights, well, shortly after the, you know, end of the Jim Crow era, beginning of civil rights movement, really. And that's when we started seeing law enforcement reflect the communities it was serving in the 70s. In like the short amount of time I've been speaking with you, I've covered from the 1700s to the 1970s. So we've covered about 270 years, let's say 250 years, just to make it a round number. And I've talked to you about night watchmen, slave patrol, the constables, Sir Robert Peel, the establishment of law enforcement in America. In all of that time, America was a very racist country that did not see black people as people or equal, equal in any way. It was built into the institution of policing by the people they hired, the laws they enforced, and the policies they had. It's facts. It's not 
anti-American to speak the truth and to hold our country and our institutions accountable for their very real history. It's just, it simply is not. It's the most American thing I can do. And so you have to understand, you can, you know, you can, you don't have to be anti-police, but you need to understand the institution of policing is racist. It was built on a racist foundation by racist people and it policed racially <laughs> and it still polices racially. A couple of examples, if you need more to understand why policing is anti-Black, then I, you know, I'm gonna just tell you to look up the Tulsa Race Massacre in 1921 or Rosewood in 1923 or the Watts riots in 1965 or the Rodney King riots in the early 90s. In both Tulsa and Rosewood, when you Google those things, what you're gonna learn is white people rioted against black communities because of lies and slander and the police were nowhere to help them. Law enforcement was nowhere to help anyone in Tulsa and Rosewood. Hell, they were probably out of uniform in those riots. Those riots didn't come to an end. Those massacres didn't come to an end until the National Guard was called in both instances. And there's nothing left of Rosewood but a sign that tells you what happened there. That's our history. And our history is, there's more, yes, there's always more, but that is our history as well. And we can't ignore it and brush it under the rug anymore. My father, very smart man, he told me, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And it's actually a, a quote from Mark Twain, but I like to use it because as we've seen things develop, you know, if you look at the watch riots in comparison to the Rodney King riots, like they're mirror images and they're not the exact same, but they're almost 30 years apart. And we saw no real change in law enforcement. And now we are in 2020 and we see what happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And back in 2019, Elijah McClain. And you can't keep saying it's gotten better, it's getting better, it's getting better. It's not getting better enough. It's not doing well enough. The institution of policing started at the birth of this country. For sake of argument, we'll say 1838 when the Boston Police Department was established, the first city police department. We look at what's happening now in the news and on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Trust me, I have watched on every outlet I can find. And it's not, it hasn't gotten better enough. It hasn't gotten good enough for me. Law enforcement has been around since the birth of this country. Let's give or take 250 years. We didn't start hiring people of color and we didn't start 
really looking at the institutional racism that's built into law enforcement until 50 years ago, and I'm being generous with 50 years. I'm being generous with 50 years. But you cannot undo 200 years of institutional racism and loss of trust and violence and murder with 50 years of reform and affirmative action hiring and reluctant equity, diversity, and inclusion training. It, the math just doesn't add up. And we look at what's happening and we look at what's happened. And I am somebody who was raised around law enforcement. I know law enforcement. I wanted to be a police officer when I was younger. And I applied to several departments. And it didn't work out for me. It wasn't meant for me. I'm not anti-police. However, this isn't working and hasn't been working. Sir Robert Peel, I mentioned him before, he established the Peel's principles, the basic principles of policing. And the most important one is number nine. The test of police efficiency is the absence of crime and disorder. We haven't seen an absence of crime or disorder. So it's not efficiently working. And I can't say with good faith that we need to keep funding law enforcement the way we've been funding them. The way our culture works in this country, we fund our military more than we fund almost anything else. And in most cities and most major cities, they fund their law enforcement where they, more than they fund anything else. As we've seen with SPD and their budget in comparison to social services, education, housing, SPD's budget is ridiculous. And it baffles me. You know what? No, actually, no, it doesn't baffle me. It pisses me off that when you say that you need to defund the police so we can allocate other funds to other services that actually need it, they have the audacity to be like, well, then services, quality of service will go down. So you're mean telling me after 250 years of development, you haven't learned or established ways to be effective without a lot of money? You need millions of dollars to, to run efficiently? That's bullshit. No, you don't. We've put all this time and energy and money so we could be more efficient with policing so maybe we wouldn't have to keep funding it like this. Because guess what? To keep funding policing in the way that we've been funding it is like putting a Band-Aid on a huge leak in a boat. It's temporary. It's short-term, and we've been leaning on it far too long. And as this country has established itself and become more prominent, we have used law enforcement and laws to racially divide this country. These same institutions have made it harder for black people and people of color to be, to be successful. 
you can't tell me that even though the end of Jim Crow was in 1965, everything's better now, 40 plus years later. That's not, that's not entirely true if you're black in America. And I'm not black in America and I can't speak for black people in America. What I can speak to is law enforcement in America. I can speak to history of policing in America. And for 200 years, policing in America was anti-black. It was racist. And maybe for the last 50 years, again, I'm being generous, maybe they've been doing better and trying harder. But it isn't enough and it hasn't made enough of an impact. We need to make bigger moves if we want to see real change. Defunding the police doesn't mean taking all their money away. It means reallocating money to the community. And if we really want to see crime reduced, if we wanted to see our communities restored, we need to put money into our communities, into housing, into community resources, community programming, into social services, into our education system. We need to completely reform and put much more money into our education system if we really want to see change. To keep pouring money into law enforcement and police doesn't make any sense. It's not doing the job. It's not reducing crime long-term. It's a short-term solution for a long-term problem. And frankly, policing has been used to oppress people. Law enforcement has been used in that manner. And I am not saying all law enforcement is bad. Though I don't argue with the ACAB mentality. ACAB meaning, I'll, I'll let you Google it, but the mentality of ACAB is basically calling out the fact that the institution of policing is racist and anti-Black, and it's difficult for you to work even as a person of color in that institution and, and not be part of an anti-Black racist institution. It sounds extreme, and I understand my colleagues and my family, they get really defensive when I talk like this. And my only thing I have to say to that is stop taking it so personal. It isn't about you. My father was a good police officer, but he is not representative of all law enforcement in this country. Those awful people who abuse their power on camera and feel the absolute need to thwart their authority in such an abusive manner. That's who we see as law enforcement today. And you can say, that's not me. That's not the cops I know. And that's fair. And it's also fair that that's a, those are the cops that people do know. You can't, we can't judge the BLM movement by its most violent rioters. Just like you say, we can't judge law enforcement by, their mo by our mo the most violent, oppressive police officers, right? Same argument. But here's the thing, and here's reality, and this is something you gotta know. And if you are law enforcement and you're listening to this, I say this with love, you put on that uniform 
you are no longer you. You are a police officer. You are a part of a bigger system than yourself, a system that does not have a very pretty history. And as much as you believe you've helped people, that same uniform has hurt people. And you have to carry both burdens with you. You have to carry the real history of law enforcement with you if you're going to be a police officer in this country. And when people look at you with disdain or they yell a cab or they say F the police or what have you, stop taking it so personal. That's the job you signed up for. Look at the history of policing. They're not all heroes. And to paint them all with this hero brush saying that we owe you all of this, I'm sorry that time has passed right now. And that might hurt or bruise your ego. It might offend you in some way. However, I ask you to please pay attention to what's happening in our country. Breonna Taylor was sleeping in her home. George Floyd had maybe a counterfeit $20 bill. He was begging for his mother. Elijah McLean was walking home. There has been a disproportionate amount of black people murdered by police officers in this country at a much higher rate than law enforcement are killed in this country. I can tell you that right now. Again, I understand how people can get defensive and get, get very in their own head with this, and myself included. However, on a macro level, brown and black people are killed at a higher rate by law enforcement. Black people have been disproportionately policed and profiled by law enforcement. We have seen a grotesque history of anti-blackness in policing. And yes, even though since the end of Jim Crow in 1965, things have gotten better, they're still not good enough. And we will never settle. I'm sure it's hell never gonna settle. And I think it's really scary for people to change. And I think it's hard when, you know, we've historically put all this money and effort and, and, and we dedicate our careers to criminal justice. And so I think it's really scary for people to say, oh wait, we're not gonna, wait. We're not gonna do it like this anymore. And I don't think we need to. I'm somebody who has studied law enforcement and criminal justice. I teach it. And mind you, on this forum, I'm being much more casual. I'm being much more informal. But there is an idea of policing in this country, a concept that was built under Robert, Sir Robert Peel. And the reality that we no longer follow Peel's principles and we no longer have the idea of law enforcement. It needs to be reformed on a huge level. We need to stop funding the police so heavily and start funding social services. 
we need to see some major overhaul in law enforcement agencies and policing agencies. We need to see we need to see law enforcement and police officers who've been on for too long retire. And we need, we need a lot. I could talk, probably talk a whole other podcast about what we need. And I, you know, anyone who wants to come on here and talk with me about police abolition and defunding the police and alternatives to defunding the police, you're more than welcome. I encourage it. I will actually be sitting on a panel for Seattle University's Criminal Justice Department. It is hosted by Alpha Phi Sigma and the Criminal Justice Honor Society and the Criminal Justice Club. And they will be hosting a student-led panel on what it means to defund the police on October 23rd, that's this Friday. And also another panel called Rights and Riots. That will be on November 6th. That information will also be in the description. I hope you found this informative um, or insightful. Again, this is just me. This is what I feel passionate about. It's been um, a unique position for me to be in because I can have conversations with other people about what it means to abolish the police. And that's a whole other conversation that I would love to have with somebody on here. And I'm not even like on that, like I'm not, I'm not there. I don't think that we need to abolish police. I think we need to incredibly reform police and law enforcement and criminal justice as a whole. So that's what I teach. I do believe um, that we can fix it. I know there are a lot of people who don't believe that but I came into criminal justice and I worked in social services for over seven years, truly believing that you can fix a house from the inside. And I, I, I still believe that. And that's why I teach. I teach undergraduate and graduate students who are studying criminal justice because if I can influence them positively, if I can educate them, if I can widen their perspective, if I can help in any way, to inspire them to be the change, that's powerful. I teach probably a hundred or over a hundred students a year. If I can just get to a few of them, if I can inspire a couple of them, my hope is that they'll go forward and they'll further fight to change this system. Because rationally, I believe this is a system we're stuck with. Logically, that's what I believe. And I think we can make some major changes. And they need to happen. Name a time in history that we have asked for progress and progress hasn't been right those who've been on the conservative side of things, who've wanted to keep things the way they've been, have always been on the wrong side of history, at least the history I've been taught, mind you, it's American history, so that's arguable. But my point is progress usually is progressive and we need progress right now. We can't keep doing what we've been doing.
We can't keep pouring the amount of money we've been pouring into it and expecting it to be different. Literally the definition of insanity. So that's me. And that's my opinion on all of that. Thanks for listening. And hopefully I'll be conversing with you soon.